the betrayal and going out of Judas, his taking of his leave, is a major signal to Jesus. I mean, to put it in contemporary language, we might say something like, game on. Meaning that after having said sometimes to his friends, no, you don't understand, it's not my time, or sometimes saying to his enemies, or the text will say about his enemies that they couldn't get him because it wasn't Jesus' time. So that phrase, especially in Matthew, um, but John uses it too, is this notion that, well, no, it's not my time. But Judas standing up, leaving, the door shutting behind him, is a major signal to Jesus that as the door shuts behind Judas, the last events of Jesus' life are now going to unfold in rapid succession. And so our focus this evening is to think through both the model that we talked about outside, the model of foot washing, and an element of this message, and that is this line, if you'll look with me in your gospel reading, a new command I give you to love one another. And this is one of those moments where I just would have loved to have been there but as an observer, to just see how his first friends took this. Like, did they roll their eyes at each other? It's like, oh, great. You know, we can't even remember if we're supposed to bring bread or leaven or, you know what I mean? Like, like how did they take this? What, what could possibly be good about being given a new command? Well, you may, you may wonder why Maundy Thursday, um, what, what does this mean? Why, like, where does this sort of odd word mande come from? There's a Latin word, mandatum, and mandatum nova is this phrase for a new command in Latin. Um, we get our English word mandate from it. But it simply is meant to point to the cel well, as it comes to us now, the celebrating of receiving a new command. And that's the little counterintuitive thought I want to put before you tonight. To just sort of try this on for size as we come to the end, end of Lent and we pivot now towards Easter and these, these three great days of the church, to just think of the church having given us this Thursday, this New Commandment Thursday, this Monday Thursday, to celebrate receiving a new command. So now let's think about this. Who celebrates being told what to do? Right? I mean, just think, I can't be the only one in this room who my parents couldn't tell me anything, and neither could any school teacher or any, any authority, right? Couldn't tell me anything when I was a kid. And I, I'm, I know you all weren't like that, but at least you can understand someone like me, right? So let's think, who does celebrate? Now, I want you to think about this. Genuinely celebrates being told what to do. What about a person in a forest being lost in a deep fog? Being told right there. That's the way. That person celebrates being given a new command. What about a sick person needing a prescription? 
something to be prescribed that could give them a new path forward and some hope. Yesterday in San Jose, I was with a friend who's suffering from debilitating pain and she has no hope of the pain ever going away. According to the doctor, she has no hope. Well, she would be very happy to be told, here's a new command. Just take this pill or go through this procedure. Or what about a person who feels trapped and who can imagine no way out? They would very happily receive a new command and be told, this is the way, walk in it. Or lastly, picture a person, you know, all of us who grew up in Southern California, you know, we all know this story, is picture a person drowning at the beach, the lifeguards go out to them, and you know, there's always that moment where the lifeguards have to get them to receive this command. Like, you just have to be still. Or whatever they need to say to them. You, you ha- or grab this buoy, or, or hold onto the surfboard, or whatever might be being said. To the drowning person, hearing a new command is actually a good thing. So as we think about this tonight, I want you to think with me just honestly, in the own counsels of your own heart and mind, would you like there to be a new command of any kind? Like, would you like to hear the Lord say something to you that is a a new command? Now, this Greek word that's translated command essentially means something like, uh, well, somebody who has kind of a high office by virtue of their office is able to prescribe a way because of that inherent authority they have. And here, of course, we're thinking of creator and creature and that the natural, innate, divine authority that God has is what allows him to give this new command. The Greek word is actually entele, and it's a little play on the word telos. And so it has this emphasis of like, well, here's how you reach the consummation. If you're lost in a fog, here's the fresh air. If you're drowning, here's how you don't. Here's how you move to a different consummation or a different end result or a different purpose being attained is you follow this new commandment, this direction. It's like a precept, a guideline, a path towards something new. Well, the disciples, of course, don't really understand what all this means. And as we heard Dennis just read, Peter especially is not at all grounded in what's going on here. And so they're wondering, what are we to do? I mean, they don't know in the way Jesus does that Judas is leaving has triggered everything. But they know enough to know that something's up. And so Jesus can see and the look in their faces. He can see in their kind of tilted body language. He can maybe see concern in their eyes. And he knows that they're asking something like, what does all this mean? What are we to do? And and this is what sort of calls out of Jesus this big mega idea. Here's what you to do. You're to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. 
Now, loving your neighbor was not a new commandment, not even close. There was almost nothing new about it. The Old Testament is full of such uh, commands or ideas to love your neighbor, to love one another, that sort of thing. That was not new. What makes this commandment new is that little phrase, in the same way that I have loved you. Because that little phrase, in the same way, alerts us to mode or manner, right? The mode in which something happens or the manner in which something happens. And so with Jesus, it means something like, I want you to love with the kind of depth or the type of love through which I've loved you. So now again, I want you to just try to put yourself, you know, uh, around this table and you hear Jesus say, I want, you to, I want you to love one another in the way that I've loved you. Well, as soon as you hear that little phrase, in the way I've loved you, can't you picture them just now rehearsing the previous three years? And thinking, well, how, well, wait a second, how did he love us? And Jesus didn't say these words, but he might have said something like, now I want you to look back on my life. And I want you to look back on how it is that we've been together and I want you to think of my teachings, but especially I want you to, to just become alert to my manner of being with you. Because this combination of my teachings and my works and my manner of being with you is revelation. This is the revelation of how God thinks about you. And it's a revelation of of what Israel was meant to be. Well, let's go back. It's a, it's a revelation of what Adam and Eve was meant to be. What I've embodied, embodied and announced and shown and taught you is a revelation of what Israel was meant to be. And we can say now, looking back, that this is a revelation of what the church, the people of God, are meant to be. So now think of Jesus saying these things and, and, and let them provide for us a window into what it might mean to love one another as Jesus loved us. Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to the, do the will of he who sent me. That's what animated him. That's what allowed the disciples and everyone else to see what they saw. Or Mark 10.45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what fueled the imagination for Jesus. So well, I, I want to help us just continually wonder to what was Jesus conscious? What did he think was happening in and through him? But was he conscious of any effect that it was having on anybody else or intended to have on them? And this famous passage that we'll read tomorrow, my father if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but yet what you will. See, Jesus is never acting or teaching out of the blue. He's never behaving or explaining in decontextualized ways. He's always aware of the big overall context of what the Father is doing in and through him. And he's very aware of the context of whom he's teaching or dialoguing with. From Nicodemus to the woman at the well, to Zacchaeus, uh, to Matthew, Levi. He's always aware of 
where he is and who he's with, and he's trying to express this. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, not my will, your will. The Son of Man didn't come to uh, be served, but to serve. And so when we think like this, it seems, you know, kind of far-fetched, right? It seems outside of human possibility. And at least for me, it makes me wonder, well, what will life based on this new commandment be like? Like if we tried to really take this serious, what would it be like? And I think the first thing to say is that the reason Jesus has this kind of overwhelming authority is that it comes from comprehensive knowledge and a kind of lived insight. He can only say, not my will be done, but yours, because of the utter confidence he has in his Father. And that even in the moments where the Father's will is a bitter pill to swallow or deeply confusing, Jesus can go there because he knows what it's like there. And it's not theoretical. It's not, you know, like a memory verse, which memory verses are great. I'm not putting that down. Or it's not like a, a bit of doctrine, which again is great. We want to have clear doctrine. But I'm saying for Jesus, it's not merely that. It's a lived experience. And this is why when Judas gets up to walk out, Jesus is not like a, you know, an out of control boss at work or something who starts, you know, saying, betray me, I'll show you. Right, that comes out of a kind of defensiveness. It says, I'm not safe any longer in this room. This is no longer a safe place for me. One of my 12 best friends just betrayed me. Therefore, I must secure myself here. And one of the ways he could have done that is just said, well, if you think Judas is bad, what about you, Peter? James and John, you're like out of control with this power complex. You want to call down fire from heaven. Your mother's asking you to have, for you to have a special seat somewhere. But he doesn't begin to berate them. Like you couldn't cast out that demon. You want the wrong things. You don't understand the story. You don't understand the timing. You don't really get my teachings. He doesn't in any way berate them like that. So if you're looking for like a scriptural or a textual answer for what it would be like if we tried to base our lives on this new commandment, we can't do any better than this. Matthew 11, come to me. All you who are laboring under wrong narratives, all you who are burdened down by fogs and trapped and drowning all you who labor and are heavy laden come to me and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me and then you almost can't imagine a powerful figure saying these next six or seven words for I, for, well, first of all, just think of the logical connected, for, right? Well, so like, why should you come to him? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
So Judas walks out and a gentle and lowly heart breaks. One who would never even consider berating his best friends. It's not even in the realm of possibility. That's not what a gentle person does. That's not what someone who's lowly of heart does. They absorb pain. They don't inflict it. Even when they have a solid rationale for doing so. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And son, I know what you did. But today, you'll be with me in paradise. And we could go on and on and on just thinking now about how the words and works and manner of being of Jesus do not come out of the blue. They come out of this person who is genuinely gentle and genuinely lowly in heart. And Jesus says, if you come into that way of life, this new commandment that I'm giving you, you will find rest for your souls. And so the mode of his love, that which makes this a new commandment, is the mode of love and service. And once we receive it, then it becomes the mode of our love for others. Now there's much to be said in any of these texts, much to be said about Monday Thursday, much, much, much that we can do in future years. But for this Monday Thursday, one aspect of our annual Monday Thursday reminder is of that which is most fundamental to our followership of Jesus. And that is simply to love God and love others with a humble serving kind of love. A new commandment, a mandatum nova, the Latin says, I give unto you. And this is for your good. Try it on for size, take my yoke upon you, and you will discover that if you live into a life that has the, the two markers of loving God and loving others, you will find rest for your souls. That's Armandi's Thursday celebration. Amen.